This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Okay, so uh, tonight, 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 we are working on, this is the, this is really the third class in the, I didn't forget, this is the third class in the, in like the mini-series within Mashiach, and how do we know that it's in the end of days? How do we know that Mashiach is really close? These are all the same, even though they're different titles, but they're all focusing on more or less the same concept of, on how close we are to Mashiach. So we're continuing with that, and Ms. on this one will close off that section in the Mashiach uh, series. So we are uh, learning tonight, to Emily Segalit Bat Lili Leah, and Ludmila Bat Clara, and Yechaskel Ben Tila, and also we are inviting all women to join us at 1601 Quentin Road on Thursdays at 8 p.m., and please message me beforehand to make sure, or email me, whatever it is, beforehand to, I said, uh, that uh, to make sure the class is on. Because also next week, we do plan on being here. Okay, so now, let us, uh, the final countdown, that's this week's topic. Thank you, everyone, for all your help in this. Okay, so now, the... The way that we want, we're going to break this down into a few different, a uh, few different categories. One of them is there's a Gemara in Sota. Now again, let's just do a very, very, very brief recap on what we're dealing with over here and how we're explaining it. There's two Gemara. There's two different uh, sections in the Talmud, two different books, I guess, in the English and in, in the Talmud. One in Sota and one in Sanhedrin. The one in Sota is speaking about something known as Ikvisa de Mashiach, is known as the era, the time right before Mashiach comes. And then there's a, there's a, there's a Gemara in uh, Sanhedrin which speaks about Dor Shaben David Ba, the generation of when Mashiach is coming. So the way that we explained it, again, this is my own uh, interpretation of it, the way that we explained it is as follows. The way the Gemara in Sota is referring to the before. Like earlier on, the Gemara in the Sanhedrin is referring to right in the same, in the generation when Mashiach is coming. So it's very close to it. So we're continuing on that theme on uh, to different topics that both the Gemara in Sota and the Gemara in Sanhedrin both speak about. Now we're going to try to figure out which section are we? Are we in the era? Are we in the time right before Mashiach comes, or are we in the generations of, of generation of which Mashiach is coming? So we're going to begin with the Gemara Sota. The Gemara Sota, page 49b, it says, Umalchut ta'afech leminut. The kingdom, the, the ruler, the government is going to turn into heresy. Heresy is, uh, think of it as, as a disbelief in God, um, an atheistic culture. Uh, that type of, that, but it's not really just the people, it's the government that's referring to over here. Now, the sages go and say, what is it referring to? Which government are we talking about? Are we talking about the Israeli government? Are we talking about the Gentile government? Are we talking about all the governments in the world? So, like any good Jewish opinion, there's three opinions, right? There's the right, the wrong, and no, I'm just kidding. There is three different opinions. One of them, one of the opinions is it's referring to Israel, the, the Israeli government. One of them is referring to the, the Gentile government. And one of them is referring to all of the governments. Now we're going to go and try to explain how really this is not a really a, an argument, this is not really a different opinions, but really it's meshed into, into one. So, that is what the Gemara in Sotah says. What does the Gemara in Sanhedrin says? Now again, if you read these two, these two Gemara, it seems like, whatever, it's more or less the same. But there's one word that's different in the Gemara in Sanhedrin versus the Gemara in Sota. What's the word that's different? The word that's different is, and let me read it for you, the Gemara in Sanhedrin, kol hamalchut leminut. The difference here is the word kol. Anybody here know what the word kol means? All. Thank you. All. What was the difference? Before we said that the government is going to turn into heresy, here we said that all the government is going to turn into heresy. Now we could see the, the progression of where it's going to. In the beginning, right in the era, in the time frame, right before Mashiach comes, there's governments that are going to be turning into heresy. But right before Mashiach, then all the governments are going to be turning into heresy. So now, let's try to understand what this means, the, um, the, a, a government that doesn't believe in God. Because in essence, when you think about it, the, throughout ancient history, 
the kingdoms very strongly believed in religion. They, they, it was a foundation of what they waged many wars based on the religion. They gave many powers to their priests and to the high people of their, uh, whatever you call it, of, of, of the religion, of the church, whatever it is. There was a lot, it was a very, very strong emphasis. You could say that the government wanted to control the people through that way. Whatever interpretation you're going to give, it was very, very much devoted, especially even the times where the Gemara was written. This was a time where, like, what do you mean a, a, a society where there's not going to be any, any religion? It doesn't make any sense. Because the government very strongly pushed religion. In fact, that was one of the reasons we're not going to get into how Christianity started, how Islam started, and not, and not really started, but more like spread. How this all began really stemmed from, from a power perspective of, well, let's get more power, and if, how do we get more power? By adopting this or adopting that. So, when the Torah tells us, when the Gemara tells us that before Mashiach comes, is going to be a government that's going to have heretical beliefs. They're not, they're not going to be associated with religion. It's something that's unheard of. It's something that's unfounded, you know, in that time frame. Now, you look at the recent history, more like when the communist revolution began. This is where, where it sort of like began to spread widespread the, the idea of, an, of like no religion. You know, or the government is your religion, or whatever it is. You know, depending on how you brought up and what you understand what communism is. But there is, there is a, there's words where there's a change from there is a focus on the the religious perspective or a godly perspective to a focus of more of a government perspective or a more of a, of a disbelief in anything else. Just do the right thing type of thing, uh, of the situation. So now, when communism came around, all of a sudden you see like more and more people started slowly. Attributing to this type of, of belief system. Now, the unfortunately, very unfortunately, the nowadays we're sort of in this, you call it a fad of, it's like an in thing to do not to believe in God. It's like, oh, you're an atheist? Oh, okay, cool. You're like, I mean, in my mind, and I think in anybody intelligent, I see mental defici- deficiencies when, when the, and, I, and like, I know this is not the right thing to say and politically correct. I'll be honest, I don't care. Like, I really, like, if you're saying that, and I'll explain why, and let's try to go and understand why this is such a problem in your, uh, you know, in your brain function, in your way that you think, in the way that you're, you, you process your own thoughts. Now, there <clears throat> is something known as the dollar bill. And, uh, if anybody here has a dollar bill, you open up any dollar bill, it says very interesting things on the dollar bill. Now, it says, in God we trust. Alright? There was a study done for college students, right? If anybody know who college students are, the futures of our generation, right? The, the next, the next leaders, the next, well, depending which college, obviously, um, then, you know, of the, of the generation. Now, there was a study done, 45% of the study of the, of those college students, they wanted to remove in God we trust from the, from the, uh, from the dollar bill. In fact, there was an atheistic group that it brought it all the way up to the Supreme, the Supreme, um, Supreme Court. That they wanted to remove in God we trust. They said, what? We don't trust in God. Why does it have to be in our dollars? Not dollar bill. Now, when I read this, and I, I'm like thinking, I'm like, why do you care? Like, you know, and I didn't review this beforehand, but let's take out a dollar. Okay, so what I have here is a five is the first thing that comes into my... Okay, so we have over here, in God we trust. There is a building over here, and there is a man over here. What about if I don't believe in this man? Do you see me standing aligned? I don't, this is not my, put a keep on him. You know? Why isn't there a cross on this man for other for people? There's so many things you can say. This note is a legal tender for, okay, well that's a really good reason. Um, there are so many things that we could go and start, you start arguing on. Like, I don't want Lincoln on this. Like, it really offends me. Um, you know, I don't know. 
You don't see anybody else going and saying, and in fact, in God we trust is on the back. It's not even on the front. I don't know if it's on all the dots. We're not going to go through it, but I think it's on the back of everything. It's all on the back, right? And then if you really want to go to the dollar bill, then you have the, what are those people that um, are crazy? I mean, the um, conspiracy theorists uh, with the eye. Illuminati. Oh, there's, there's, a, there's an eye and a dollar. You don't see the conspiracy theorists going and saying, we want this removed. Why do they control our money? The Jews, why do they control our money? Why do they control the reserve? Why, why? We don't see that. You see one group, one group that goes, and they brought it up to a Supreme Court ruling. That's how much they went. They, they, uh, so that's another, another class in itself. They went to a, a, a Supreme Court ruling saying like, we want this removed. Now, this is my question. If you don't believe in God, why do you care? Like, why do you care? If there are people in Kansas praying to their pigs, does it bother you? Does it affect you? It, you don't, it doesn't matter. You believe in nothing. They believe in something. Okay, it doesn't go against your religion that they're believing it. It doesn't go, you're an atheist, right? So it doesn't go against your religion that it says in God we trust. You don't have a religion. You're believing in nothing. So the question, I understand if let's say you're somebody who goes and, uh, you know, your, your religion is that you hate Washington. That's your religion. And there's Washington on the dollar bill. And you're going, this goes against my religion. I understand, I mean, you're crazy, but I understand why you would want to go and have something removed on the dollar bill. But why does somebody who believes in nothing, that's what they, 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 they spread out, they believe in nothing, why do they have to go and remove it? Why are they bothered so much about it? Now, what you really have to think about is, is the, those type of people, all you have to do is just move on. Who cares? You believe in nothing, just move on. It doesn't bother you, it doesn't affect you, it doesn't do anything to your religion, to your belief system. So, the way that I like to spread this out is, is I like to put atheists in two groups. One of them is the quiet atheist, and one of them is the noisy atheist. So the quiet atheist, these are the followers. These, they'll believe blindly whatever science says, whatever somebody says, they'll be like, okay, fine, I'll go through it. Why, what, when, and where, there's reasons for all that, not the today's class. Then you have the noisy atheist. These are the atheists that you try to make other atheists. You know, they try to convert into a religion that's not really a religion because they don't have any belief. But they tried to convert into their own belief system. Now, the question that we have to understand is why? Why do you care? If you believe in nothing, why do you care that they believe in something? If you, do believe, if you believe in nothing, then why does it bother you that other people are preaching about religion, regardless of their religion? And if you realize, if you ever dealt with atheists or people who think they're atheists, it really bothers them. Be like, no, it doesn't, they get really fired up. Like, why, why does it bother you? If I would go to a convention where people believe that pigs are the gods, I would go to the bathroom, because that's probably why I went there, and then leave. I would not start going and be like, oh, what are you doing over here? Even though, even though this goes against my religion. That's idolatry. What are you doing? But again, maybe that's just me. I mean, maybe we're, we should be doing that. We should go preaching and, you know, the one God, and that's really our purpose over here. But I wouldn't go to that, you know, to that extent. What are we focused on? We're focused on preaching on one God. You want to believe in whatever it is you believe. I can't change you. But why is it that you have, you have evangelical Christians, right? They go and they try to go and convince. But there's a reason why. They think that they're doing the right thing. They think that if they get people to the Christian religion, they're going to be on a very high level. So that's, it's, it's not true. They're just, they, you're talking about atheists? Oh, very good. So, okay, so, so we'll speak about that. Right, so you're on target. So, my, my question is, is that, why do you promote an idea of nothingness? Why? Why do you promote, like, what does it matter to you? What do you care? It shouldn't matter at all. 
So I want to I want to like uh, share with you something that Rabbi Dessler says. Now, first of all, is that question good? Is that question clear? It should be very very clear, and the clarity of it should be that it makes no sense. That the fact that there are atheistic groups, atheistic conventions, atheistic, um, and this, by the way, all relates, and we say going to plug into the atheistic government. All these things are leading up into something. Now, why do they arrange something? If they don't believe in anything, just do you. Whatever. Play your video games, eat your pork, whatever it is that you need to do to satisfy your life, do it. But the second that you're starting to go and start to convert everybody else and start to debate other people and start to convince other people, why? Why does it bother you so much? I believe so, yeah. It's a religion that believes in nothing. Yeah, exactly. So, let me show you to something that Rabbi Dessler said. Rabbi Dessler goes like, quotes a, uh, a pasuk, a few pasukim in Tehilim, chapter 19, verse 2 through verse 5. It says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky goes and, and I guess you could say also recites or declares the, the work of God's hand. Meaning that when you look at the heavens, the, the, the sky, it, it shows there's a creator. Now the next pasuk says, The day sort of speaks and the night communicates a certain knowledge, again, that there is a God, there's a divine creator. Now, ask of Dessler, how is it possible then for people who not to be able to see this, it's pronounced, it says it speaks, it says that throughout the entire world it goes and it declares, it recites the glory of God. It recites everything. So how is it that people can go and say that there doesn't exist a God, that there doesn't exist a creator? So answers of that, so you look at the next pasuk and that answers are for you. It says, Meaning that there is neither speech nor words, their voice is not heard. What is it? What is it? How does Reb Dessar explain it? That for one who doesn't want to hear... Doesn't matter how clear the signs are. It doesn't matter how obvious it is that there is a God, that there's a creator. It doesn't really matter at all. Because if someone doesn't want to hear, he's not or she's not going to see anything. Now says Rabbi Dessler, really, the sounds, the glory, the, the obviousness of it, it fills the entire earth. But yet, people suppress it. People see it. They understand it. They internalize it. But they, it says Rabbi Dessler, they suppress it. Now, says Rabbi Dessler, whoever denies God really knows in his heart that there is a God. But he's hiding himself from the truth. And why, what's the reason for that? Rabbi Dessler goes and quotes Yeshayahu, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 10. And I want to quote a few in English. It says, This people's heart is becoming fat, and its ears are becoming heavy, and its eyes are becoming sealed. Lest, why? Lest he sees with his eyes, he hears with his ears, his heart is on the sand and repents, and, he be, and, he, and he's healed. Now the question is, why? Why is, what, what is going on up here? Why does someone so afraid, closes his eyes, ears, everything is closing and preventing him? Reb Chaim of Lajan goes and explains that a wicked person, a rasha, is afraid to look and listen and understand that there is a God. Why? Because he knows deep down the truth. Everybody really knows down the truth. When you go to someone and say, what do you need to work on? You go to an interview and the guy says, okay, can you tell me one of your deficiencies? And you say something smart like, I work too hard or something, you know, like I love jobs, whatever, right? Um, and But deep down... You know your deficiencies. You, I mean, you might not even think that you know it, but really deep down, if you really dig deep down, you know what your problems are, what your issues are, and what you need to work on. And by the way, this is what's relevant to these days of what you need to work on. But you have to really, sometimes you have to really look deep down. You have to really be true to yourself and honest to yourself and think about, okay, what do I need to work on? What do I need to fix? What do I need to change in my day-to-day life? Now, even though, says Rav Chaim that a person knows about all this, but they're afraid. 
Because what happens when they open their eyes? If an atheist is believed as an, you know, thinks of himself as an atheist, and then he looks and he hears and he understands that all of a sudden, wait, maybe there is a God, then he's going to be compelled to what? To do tshuva. To return. And that's something that he's determined to avoid at all costs. Uh, to turn, to change my life? No, no, no. I'm not interested in that. So really, says Rabbi Dasar, the whole world could see that it's very obvious that there is a God. But yet, there's a reason why they don't want it. So it doesn't matter the proofs, the signs, you could go over the debates from today until tomorrow. If you don't want to see something, you will never see it. And I can tell you from experience with dealing with people, with dealing with groups, that if someone is not interested, you could go right to their face. If God could go right to their face, and they will not believe it. They will, it doesn't matter the strongest proof. Because really, the, you know, you think about it in anything. It's not only about God. Think about it in science. If someone is convinced that the FBI, there's not science, but whatever, if the FBI is watching and listening, and they're going to wear the tinfoil hat, and you're going to tell them, no, no, the FBI is not watching. And they're going to go with, a, I don't know what those machines are called, those scanners, uh, you know, to check for bugs in your entire apartment. And they say, this place is, there's nothing here. They're going to still be, they're not going to believe you. It doesn't matter how much evidence, how much proof you're going to give to them. It's not going to go through their solar foil. That's it. It stays over here. It's going to deflect it. The solar foil is what's going to protect me and nothing else. Because that's what, they're not looking for the truth. They're not looking. They believe in something and that's how they want to stay. And by the way, this also goes to some religions as well. No matter, you you know, I've spoken to people, say from, let's say, the Christian religion. And they're so adamant, even though that it's so obvious and so easily proven that it's a false religion, but they're so adamant, but, but like, you know, I'm going to be close to Jesus, you know, like I, I want to be close. I'm like, it's very possible that you will be close to him in the next world. But I wouldn't recommend it. It's not a place that you would want to be. Like, you know, like people are so adamant that no matter what you tell them and how you prove to them, they're not open to the truth. They're not open to the truth. I don't know if you could get to where we're saying on what's going on in this generation. That no matter what you tell somebody, if they're not interested, they're not changing. They could be stubborn. They could be into their own ways. This could be in relationships. This could be in businesses. This could be in partnerships. This could be in, a, you know, parent to child, husband to wife, father. It could be in all different aspects of life. When people don't want to hear something, they're not going to hear it. There is a derogatory statement saying about a certain gender that they hear what they want to hear. Anybody here ever heard about this? No, you probably didn't because you don't want to hear it. Selective hearing, right? So, but the answer is it's not only, it's everybody. Everybody has selective hearing. And I'll give you the proof. We're going to give Bizarre Hashem a class, right? We, whatever, we're 20 minutes in, whatever it is. We're going to give a class for about an hour. Everybody here is going to take a different aspect, or no aspect, unfortunately, I hope not, but something they'll take out of it. But what are you going to take away from this type of class, or any class for that matter? It depends on what you're open to hearing. If you're open to change, you're acceptable, you'll be able to, to um, take in a lot more. If you're very selective, and, and I'll tell you what I mean by that, I have, um, whenever you speak about Mashiach, there is one religion that's very much likes to listen to these classes. Um, and it's not the Jewish religion. Jewish, also, Jewish people also like, there's another religion, right? They like to listen to these type of classes. And they'll go through, they'll go through everything, but they'll pick and choose of what they, be like, yeah, Mashiach ben David, that's JC. And this, oh, did I just give away? Okay, they're gonna go and they're gonna pick and choose exactly what they wanna hear. They're not gonna hear everything. Why? Because it's selective. I wanna hear what it says about it. I wanna hear what the Old Testament says about it. But I'm gonna be selective because it has to follow my beliefs. And that's how we are nowadays as well. We see the Torah. The Torah tells you to do X, Y, and Z. 
but we want to be selective. What we call modern orthodoxy, open orthodoxy, reform, conservative. We want to be selective with what we hear. This, this concept is going to be more profound as we get closer to, to Mashiach. Now, says Rav Deslin, saw something so amazing. He says, this could even happen to a prophet. Even a prophet could go against God and deny that the gods exist. And what's the proof of that? He says, Cain. Cain was a prophet. He spoke to God. Cain was known as the first murderer, right? It's not like something you want to take your, you know, your trophy home with you. First murderer, yeah, that's me. You know, like, hey, one that here's the rock that we use. You know, like, it's not something that you want, but Cain is known as the first murderer. But not only that, says, says Abdesser, how did it work? How did the story progress? How did Cain go and, you know, come to the, to the point that, what was the point? Says Abdesser, he quotes a Targum Yerushalmi. And on Bereshit, on Genesis chapter 4, verse 8, he says that, from, from a certain point, Cain went and said that there is no justice, there is no judge. There is no other world and there is no reward for the righteous nor punishment for the wicked. That's what Cain, Cain, now in case anybody is not familiar, there was Adam Marishon that was created by God. And Chava, their son already denied, you know, denied the fact that there is a God. Now, Cain spoke to God. Cain did not have a grandfather or a grandmother. This was like, it was, God, Adam, and how did it come to that point? How did this, how is it even possible? You think about it, how is that possible? So, Rav Dessa goes and explains like this. He goes and he explains the whole concept of Cain's offering. Cain gave a korban, a sacrifice. He gave a sacrifice, and he gave a sacrifice of fruit. And this was not accepted. Why wasn't it accepted? The sages tell us that it was not the best quality. Now, Cain was the, he was the first person to think about it. It wasn't Hevel who thought about giving the Koban first. Cain was the first person to think about giving a Koban. So Cain went and he brought a Koban. Now he understood that an offering has to be on the highest quality. So why didn't he give the highest quality? If you think about it, well maybe he didn't have enough. Like, no, he had, he had the whole world. It was Cain and Hevel. There was plenty to give. So why isn't Asher Dasar? Why didn't he give the best of the best? And the answer is, is because he had a certain meanness, a certain cruelty to his character trait. That he owned all the fruit in the world, but his character defect was so powerful that he could only bring second to the best. He couldn't bring it to the, to the best. By the way, you have this nowadays as well. You have people that are extremely, extremely wealthy, but they could only give $18 for charity, if, if they could. You have people that are very, very smart, but yet they, they focus maybe five minutes on learning to walk. The rest, they have to play their video games, and they have to you know build... I don't know if people still do this. Build farms and sheep and whatever. Not. What, is that what it's called? Minecraft is where they build stuff and then you share it with other people and then you... Whatever it is. Okay. So I've never understood this. And, and as much as when people try to explain me this, it sounds more and more idiotic. The more I'm like, you should probably stop talking right now because you're not making your, you know, you're not making yourself look good. It, it makes... It's like, no, you don't understand. You know, you build your own city. I'm like, yeah, but what... Like, like it's like. So you're working for nothing. I, I, I don't, I'm like, what are you, what are you doing? You trade crops. I'm like, again, why? <laughs> like, like I understand you want to kill somebody. You want to drive really fast. Fine, but it's like somebody going and be like, you know what? I'm gonna build a game. We're gonna create math problems. I'll be like, that's gonna sell. I'll be like, what? Like, we're gonna create a game that you're gonna have to work. I'll be like, yeah. People will do that because they'll do that instead while they're in their jobs. Instead of working, 
they're working in their virtual world. Uh, like to my, to my life of me, I can't understand why people would go and spend time and effort and, I don't know, and probably money as well. Like, let me buy some fake crops so that whatever it is that people... Like, I don't understand it. But this is what people devote their, their, you know, their time to. So, you have somebody that, let's say, is a giving person, very intelligent, can build an entire city, roller coasters, whatever it is that they're building. They can do the entire thing. They're geniuses. They're able to do that. But yeah, what are they focusing on? They're focusing on, a, in a, on the narishkeit, on the nonsense of, of, of the things, instead of, instead of the productive, uh, you know, aspects of the world. So now, Cain had the ability to do so much, but he had a character defect. There was something that was blocking him. And says the Midrash in Bereshit Rabbah, that after his offering was not accepted, he had a machloket, he had a quarrel with his brother Hevel. And the quarrel was, how are we going to divide the world? And when they divided their own shares, Cain was very, very bothered. He couldn't bear that anybody else would have any share of all. Right, this is a certain character defect. That, and that burned him to, the, to a certain extent that it ended up in him killing his brother. That's what it ended up, you know, doing it. Now, he had this situation that he had to reconcile. He had a one aspect, he knows that God exists. He spoke to God. The Torah tells us he spoke to God. And the second point in time, he did something really bad. So, he had a, the knowledge of God, and then he had his impulses, his defective character trait that he had to deal with. Now the question was, is he going to break his craving or he's going to turn back on God? What is he going to do? Something has to give. We spoke about this concept very very frequently and very frequently because I feel how important it is. Something known as cognitive dissonance. That you have to go and you have to you have to be in, in peace with yourself. You can't have two conflicting views. So what Cain did, instead of going and saying, okay, maybe I should do whatever it is I need to do, he said, what did he go and says in Midrash? There is no judge and there's no justice. There's no other world, there's no reward and there's no punishment. He denied the fact of, of another world. He denied the fact of a God, the, the purpose of, of creation. Now, Says Rabbi Dessler, this is the way, this is a, by the way, this is a prophet. This is someone who spoke to God and went and denied everything. Says Rabbi Dessler, this is the way of all denial of God. Anybody who denies God, every individual knows the truth. Deep down they know that there's something going on, there's something wrong with what they're doing. You know. You know deep down. You might say not, you might even believe, you might even pass a lie detector test. But deep down, if you really go deep down, you can find your defects and the problems that you have in your life and you know that what you're doing is wrong. Everybody has that. Now, with that in mind, we could try to understand the, the original question that we asked is why do atheists have such a bother with this and such a, such a, such a drive to go and try to convince other people? They have a, they fuss and scream to go and make other people atheists as well. And the answer is because deep down they know that they're wrong. They know that there's something bothering them. They know that there's something not true. Now, if somebody loses money, loses a lot of money, they feel really, really bad. But let's say they hear that somebody else lost more money than them. Then what do they feel? They feel a little bit better. A little good. Come, you know, like, oh, okay, so I'm not that bad. Somebody did worse than me. There is a concept when the atheists know that they're doing something bad. There's a psychological term for this. They, they know they're doing something bad, but if, if, if there's a sinking ship, but there's more people drowning with me, I feel less bad about it. There's something, you know, like, uh, you know, dragging somebody else down with you gives you some sort of peace. Okay, so if somebody, if, if I go and preach and I get more people, so then, okay, it must mean something. Maybe this, maybe this is really true. They're trying to convince themselves and hide from the truth that's really digging deep down inside with them. Now, this explains why the atheists go and proclaim out loud and try to get other people to go and, con- and, and join their cult or whatever it is that you want to call it. But why do the people join the cult? Why do the people go and join atheism? And the answer is because 
people are looking for an escape. People are looking for a shortcut. People are looking for an easy way out. Now, this could be in either either way. This is one of the one of the the you could call the the roots is somebody either did something really bad or somebody wants to do something bad or somebody thinks that they did something bad. So inside, they don't. nobody likes to be a bad person. And I've asked this to terrible people, are you a bad person? And they all says, say, no, I'm a good person. Like like really bad people. Are you a bad Like, no, I'm really... They convince themselves. And, and psychologically, we need to convince themselves, to ourselves that we're good people. We need to convince ourselves that we really are meaning well and everything that we do, even though it's something bad, it, there's really a good reason behind it. It's cognitive dissonance. We, we can't have this, this concept that we're, we're bad. So when somebody either did something wrong or will do something wrong or wants to do something wrong, they're looking for a way out. And I'm like, wait a minute, there is no God? Well, if there's no God, then I could do whatever I want. If I could do whatever I want, then I'm not really bad. I'm never bad because it doesn't really matter. So people are attracted to this thing because it gives you a way out to like believe in nothing. If you believe in nothing, then you can do anything. There's no such thing as bad. You cheat from the government, you're an atheist, okay, whatever. As long as the government didn't figure it out, let me go, I'm okay. Now again, you could say that, oh, there are some people that go and they'll say, no, they're atheists, and they're still bothered by that. I don't believe that. I really don't. Because why does it make a difference to you? Like if you are able to go, and you think about this. Now, I'm treading on a very dangerous line of things that I'm about to say. If an atheist goes and does something bad and no one catches him, did he do something bad? Now, in essence, yes. Will he tell you yes? Yes. But did he really do something bad? Well, it depends. Why? Like, what's it going to make it? You think about this. Now, I don't want you to think about this emotionally. I want you to think about this intellectually. Let's give an example of stealing from somebody. There's an atheist. And he goes and he steals from somebody. And he takes away the, you know, the money. And that person never finds out. Let's say that person is a billionaire. And he stole $100 from that person. Did this person do something wrong? Technically speaking, morally speaking, ethically speaking, yes, he did something wrong. But you go and you ask the atheist, did you do something wrong? Yeah, he, he'll say that. He, no, he'll say yes. Well, yeah, you could say that, yeah, they're defining what's, what's wrong. Why wouldn't he do it? Because but the question is, will he get punished for that? And the answer is an atheist will say no. If an atheist will tell you, well, karma, well, let me give you, share with you a secret. It's not an excuse that it's not a shame. Yeah, it's true. Karma is another way of atheists saying God. <laughs> Universe is another way of atheists saying God. You know, higher power is another way of atheists saying alien, whatever it is, is another way of atheists going and claiming that there's another stronger, higher force. But you think about it for a second. If a cheetah goes and sees a lion eating a zebra, and the cheetah is a very fast animal, it runs, it sees a zebra, it takes a bite from the zebra, and it runs away. It stole from the lion. Is that a bad zebra? Is that, I'm sorry, it's a bad zebra, unfortunately. Is that a bad, um, is that a bad cheetah? No. Would you put the cheetah in the corner? No. Are you gonna, no, why not? Like, what did they do anything wrong? They don't so, have- Oh, so you say, okay, so they don't have ethics and they don't have moral, they don't have, they don't have, so that's another whole class in its entirety which I spoke about moral relativity and, and why is, is, you know, morality all relative to everything. Two different things. In Judaism, the religion is connected. Atheistic, perfect that you brought that up. Atheists split that up. There's something good and bad and are you going to get punished for it? So atheists say, yeah, it's good or bad, but I'm not going to get punished for it. At the end of the day, that's all they care about. They're going to get punished. Right. So religion, Combine those two together. If you do something good, you'll get rewarded. If you do something bad, you'll get punished. Atheist splits that apart. So what happens is over here, so when you tell an atheist that you do something wrong, they may tell you you did something wrong, but you're going to get punished for it? No. So in essence, how wrong is it really? If you're not going to get punished for something, then how much of a, you'll feel bad? Maybe a little bit. But if you really believe in nothing, 
then why will it bother you? Like, who cares? Like, it really doesn't matter. Now, like, you know, you understand where I'm going through with this? Now, I know I'm going to get, like, a slew of, like, arguments on this. Well, atheists can be really good people. Yeah, they could be. I'm not saying that they're not. One of the reasons is because I don't believe anybody's an atheist. So there's no such thing as an atheist. There's such a thing as an agnostic and dumb people. Um, but those are the two categories I put them. But everybody else, you want to, whatever it is, it, it, you know, you could say, oh, like, there could be great people. Yes, there could be great, and there are great Muslims. And there are great Christians, and there are great Everything's. There are. There are great sects in the world. But let's speak about you for a second. If you think about it, if you don't believe in anything, then why is it a problem if you do something or if you don't do something? Why is it a problem if you're a good person or a bad person? Why? Where does it go? You want to speak of the ethics and that? We speak a whole, I have a whole class on, 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 on moral relativity and on, on how that, that in the divinity series. But when we speak about this, when we think about it, it's something that really brings you to mind that you have, you could even have a prophet. Somebody on the level of speaking to God that could go and deny God. Because when, as much as an atheist can go and say, yeah, well, I'm thinking logically, intellectually, they're not. They're thinking emotionally, and that's as far as it goes. I've de- dealt with so many atheists and so many people on this. I have yet to meet one that dealt solely on logic. Because they'll go and they'll scream all about logic. But when you tell them something, as if you tell somebody they have a logic you know, understanding, that there's no God. But if you prove to them, just one proof, that there could be a God, then they should consider that. But why don't they? They'll go and they'll ask other questions. But wait a minute, that's not logic. If you go and you're trying to approve a drug, and the drug has a very big problem, you can't say, well, it'll help so many other things. But like, well, the FDA wants to know what's going on with this problem over here. Forget about everything else. So if you want this drug to pass the FDA and go cleared and be, and, and, you know, be sold and be prescribed, then you have to prove that this is not going to cause this side effect called death or whatever it is so how come with an atheist if there's a problem they don't deal with that problem now you can't tell me that there's one atheist in the world that can't that doesn't have an answer to the numerous questions that we say well look how this there's a god here look how this is a god look how this is a god there's so many proofs and look at the divinity series that we went through so many proofs that we have to show that there is a god so what did that where does that come from the answer is they're not looking they're not interested. They're not looking for the truth. They're not looking for it. Deep down, they know the truth. Everybody knows the truth. Deep down, every single one of us knows the truth. Knows it. The question is, is how true we are to ourselves. Doesn't matter if you're a righteous person. Doesn't matter if you know the entire Torah. Doesn't matter if you're a prophet. If you're not interested, if you don't want to hear it, you're not going to hear it. So this is where, is where Cain came in. He came in and he said, no, it doesn't exist. Now, when you think about it, let's try to take this to, how, how is it going to be that before Mashiach comes, this is going to spread throughout the entire world? Now, when we're, we're thinking about this concept, we think about how, how ideas spread, it makes a lot of sense. The way that we just evolved this entire class, the entire lecture, the entire shiul, is the fact that how atheistic you know ideas sort of came into being? We didn't really speak about that, but the, how how it sort of branched off from like a governmental perspective, that communism, to the fact that people believed in something, to the fact that people were bothered. They knew deep down that they weren't, so they were trying to go and convince other people. But why would other people want to go and join it? Well, the answer is very simple: because they wanted to freedom. They want to do anything. They deep down they know that something is bad. Something is wrong. Something is not right that you should be doing. But yet they continue doing it, but they need a way out. The cognitive dissonance. So what they do, they go and they convince themselves that there's no such thing as a God. They convince themselves that God doesn't exist. There's no reward and punishment. There's no another world. The righteous don't get rewarded. The wicked don't get punished. It's all nonsense. You go up to six feet under. You go and sit in a dark hole for the rest of eternity. Because there is no eternity. And whatever it is, depending on the religion that you believe, maybe you turn into a tree, maybe you don't. 
This is what they have to go and convince themselves because this is how they have to go and live their lives because this is the way that makes themselves feel good about themselves. Yes? Yeah, they're, they're, well, you're saying there's no atheist in a foxhole. Yeah, yeah, there is no atheist, you know, in a foxhole. And I really believe that. And, and at the same point in time, you have somebody that is a, the most devoted, you know, atheist. If they're put in a situation that's really bad, they're going to turn into God, to God at some point. They might not say it. Yeah, they'll never admit it. But deep down, they'll be like, God, if you exist, you know, they'll start off like that. Be like, oh, I'm not going to shoot off my thing. If you exist, please help me. If you don't, then whatever. I'm talking to myself. But uh, like, depending on how proud and how arrogant they are, deep down they all believe, they really believe in something. But here we see it how it's going to progress from something of the way the Gemara Sotah says, that the government is going to be, you know, a, a heretical government, it's full of minut, until a point where it's going to be what the Gemara Sanhedrin says, until the entire government, even the Jewish nation is going to go and, and, and turn into heresy. Now, there is a Jewish state, called Israel, right? Tel Aviv, Ben-Gurion Airport, if you want to go, and you want to land in it. Thank you very much. You go and... Uh, you can put it on the table, it's okay. Um, so you have, you have a, 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 a Israeli government, a Jewish state. Do they follow Torah laws? They don't judge by the Torah laws. Do they follow Jewish law? They don't. They don't follow anything in the, in the Jewish court of law. They follow their own set of rules that's what? That's through the Western culture. Through the same atheistic culture that's brought in. Even if you think about it, there's a separation, even America, right? It started off as more of a religious, now it's a separation of church and state. Now, England, you look at all the, they're separating church. And I'm not saying it's bad, good, whatever it is. It's beneficial for the Jewish people for that way. But there is a separation of church and state. There's a separation between the religion and there's a separation between the government. Now what's going on over here, this is spreading out through the entire, the entire world. The entire world, even if you go to the most religious, even called the Islamic countries, the most religious, fanatical Islamic countries, they're still, they're becoming more, slightly more and more liberal. You see it. They're slightly more, and not, we don't have to go into examples, do your own research, you could go and see that it's turning more and more liberal to what it used to be when, when let's say Islam first came about. Now, What's going on over here? That we see over here that the trend is not sticking to one particular government, a Western culture. You know, the, you talk about Islam, for example. Islam was very against a Western civilization, the you know democracy and all that, and everything was bad about it. But yet, slowly, slowly, it's getting infiltrated even into their societies, even into their. Now, again, it's in a completely different you know realm of what we're dealing with. But you could see it in the rules and law and how they go and they have to judge certain things. It's slowly getting 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 pushed in. So we started off with saying that the, the, the government's going to turn into minut, going to turn into heresy. But we said we have three options. What is it going to be? Is it going to be Israel government? Is it going to be the Gentile government? Is it going to be the entire world? The answer is, you see, as time progresses, it's going to go over the entire world. The entire world is going to turn into heresy. The entire world is going to go and remove itself from the fact that there is a, um, that there is a God and it's going to separate itself from, from the government. Now, let's try to understand why and how and the reasons behind it. Kabbalistically, we know that Adam Arishon was the first man. Now, in Adam Arishon were all the souls. All the Nishamot were in Adam Arishon. And they were all in different parts of Adam Arishon's body. There were souls that were in the head. There were souls that were in the throat. There were souls that were in the heart, in the arms, in the legs, in the body, in the torso. All different parts of the body represents different souls throughout the generations. Right? This is known as uh, Shi'u Koma. Now, 
The first generation, that was the generation of Adam Alishan's head. That was the generation of the head. Now, afterwards came the heart. And then you could go to the hands, to the arms, to the trunk, to the body. It goes, it, you know, goes in order. Now, when you're dealing with the first generation, the first generation was a generation that left Egypt, the Jewish, right, the Jewish people. The first generation that left Egypt, they were the masters of Torah learning. They were known, there was a, the Dor of Be'ah. They, were the, the, they lived in the desert for 40 years. What did they do the entire time? Use their heads. Focus on learning Torah. Focus on understanding the Torah. The deep and the secrets and everything that they had to do it. This was what they did day and night. They learned Torah. Who was the head of the head? It was Moshe Rabbeinu. He was the one who was the, who was the, 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 the top. But at the same point in time, anybody who's a head, who has the, the, comes from the part of Adam Elishon that's from the intellect, they have free will. So they can either be a leader in Torah, a leader, a Talmud Chacham, or they could be a scientist, a mathematician, a lawyer, a doctor. They could use their head for two different things. You have free will. What do you want to use your brains for? You want to use it for religion, you want to use it for Judaism, you want to use it for God, or you want to use it for your own personal gain and for the advancements of science and whatever it is. And I'm not saying either one is wrong, even though I am. But, you know, they both have benefits to it. But what are you going to go based on your free will, go and use it? Now, there's an interesting tradition that in every generation, anybody who's ahead, who's a leader in Klal Israel, they come from a Gilgul of the Nishamot of the generation of the Midbar, of the wilderness. This is where Rabbi Eliezer Parkov goes and, and brings it down in his book called Chizuk. The generation of the Midbar, the desert, were known as a generation of the head. Go down a little bit lower. What about the heart? The heart. What was that generation? That was the generation of the Bet HaMikdash. We know that the Torah tells us, You have to serve God with all your heart. What does it mean serve? What is Abudah? Abudah Shebalev. What does it mean the service of God of the heart? This is referring to what? To tefillah. To prayer. Prayer is, prayer is the Abudah Shebalev. Now you have people that come from the heart of Adam. These are people that are emotional people. These are people, you have a tzaddik, a righteous person that that's, comes from the heart of Adam Rishon. He is going to be very connected to tefillah. Very connected to tefillah. Very connected to going and saying praises and praying to God. That at the same point in time, there's free will. So they could do anything. They could be uh, the, from the heart. So it's emotion. The power of emotion. So they could be a poet. They could be a musician. They could be a writer. They could be things that express the emotional aspect of uh, you know of a person. Who is the head of the heart? This is David. Very good, David Amelach, composer of Tehillim, the composer of the pra- you know like uh, you know the so many prayers that we have. So you have over here. What? Let's take it a step further. Let's say the nishamot of the hands of the, the hands of, of Adam Alishan. These are people that do physical things for, for God with the hands. You know, like think about one example: balei tzedaka. Open your hand. You go and you and you go and you give charity. That's that's the generation. That's the people that are associated with the souls that were connected to the hands of Adam Alishan. The question that we need to ask is: Where are we? Which part of Adam Alishan is our generation? Says the Gemara Sotah, this is where we circle back to close off, beginning to close off the, the, this three-part class that we gave. We said we're Ikvisa the Mashiach. We're the generation right before the Mashiach, but Ikvisa comes from the Shah from the root of Ekev. Ekev is the heel. We're known as the heel of Mashiach. The heel is the bottom of the foot. Not only is the bottom of the foot, it's the place of the body that feels the least, we could call it, or one of the least places. Think about it this way. Let's say you go and you poke somebody. You poke somebody in the head, they're going to feel it. You poke somebody in the eye, forget about it. They'll really feel it. Very sensitive. A lot of nerves. You poke somebody in the tongue, a lot of nerves. What about if you poke that same thing in the arm? They'll feel it, but not as much. 
What about as you go lower? It's very interesting. And I'm not saying, but when you poke somebody at the heel, at the heel, there's like dead skin. It's, it's, it's something that you don't feel it. And in fact, diabetics, anybody who's suffering, who knows somebody who's suffering from diabetes, they have to be very careful for the circulation because it goes very, it doesn't go to the bottom of the feet and they could suffer from ulcers to the bottom of the feet. They could suffer from, from, you know, discoloration from the fact that there's a lot of problems that happen to the diabetic's feet. Anybody who's a diabetic should get your feet checked. Uh, for whoever's listening. So, but I know what you know from these things. Thank you. Okay, so now the when when you're going and we're, we're realizing if we're from the heel of the foot, the heel of the foot, that's the bottom of the bottom. And that's really the, where we are. This is the generation right before Mashiach comes. The heel, the heel is where we are of Adam HaRishon. What's the heel? The heel is full. If your body is out in the sun, in the highest peak where the sun is shining. And let's say, I don't know how to say this nicely, you're not wearing much. In our generation, that's very common. What part of the body is always going to be in the shade? Is your heel. You're sitting, you're laying. You're standing, you're sitting. You realize that your heel is always touching the ground. Your heel is always going to be in the part of darkness. And that's the generation that we are today. We're a generation of darkness. We're a generation that we're not sensitive. You poke somebody in the gum in the eyes, oh, you feel it. But you poke somebody, ah, we're not so sensitive. We're a generation that we're full of darkness. We're full of insensitivity. We don't see the obvious. We don't see it. What's going to happen when we don't see the obvious? We don't want to see the obvious. You don't want to hear the obvious. Atheism is going to proliferate. It's going to be a go, and this is going to expound. This is what we have, and unfortunately in our generation, you have many Jews that are falling off the path. Why are they falling off the same falling off the path and coming on the path? The problem is because we're in, a, we're in a generation of darkness. We're in a generation of the heel of Mashiach. This is why the Gemara and Sanhedrin, there are sages that says the Gemara and Sanhedrin, page 98, that went and said that the, the Mashiach should come, but I don't want to be part of that generation. Why not, says the Maharal? He says, because maybe they're going to... What was the reason they were afraid? Why didn't they want to be in part of the generation when Mashiach comes? Because it's going to be a period of darkness. And maybe they're going to come to doubt Hashgachaprati, divine providence. Maybe they're going to come to... There's going to be so much problems that's going to happen right before Mashiach comes. There's going to be so many issues as we look at our generation. That is going to, people are going to go and say, okay, well, maybe we could start... You know, Is there a God? Is there a God, really? Maybe? Why was there a Holocaust? Why? There's so many questions that come in. Because we're a period of darkness. We're a period of insensitivity. We cannot feel, we cannot see, and we cannot hear. Is it because we really can't, or is it because we don't want to? Is it because we're not looking, because we're not interested in it? Now, when you look at a leader, we're speaking about Moshe, we're speaking about David. When you look at a leader, look at David HaMelech. David HaMelech, he was never interested, you know, at looking at the approval ratings. Like, okay, what should I say? You know, they didn't have a team of like, okay, what should I say that the Jewish people should go and elect me as a king? It didn't work that way. There was no political correctness. Whatever said, had to be said, was said. Whatever done, had to be done. Uh, never was a popularity contest. Was never tried to, if somebody, if this is the way that we have to look for our leaders. Our leaders have to be the people that tell us what we need to do and what we need to fix. I have many people that come to me for different types of advice. And one thing that I try very hard is... Uh, usually it happens naturally, but sometimes I have to actually try to tell people straight up what their issue is and what they need to do. And it's very interesting. Some people never come back to me. Again, not a problem. Maybe Somebody, yeah, maybe, maybe they fix themselves. Some people, like I tell them, you're the problem. I, 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 like I tell them, no, you're the problem. They come to me and they'll say, like, let's say a dating issue. I'll be like, uh huh, uh-huh. you know, I listen to the entire thing and be like, you're the issue. It's not the other person. You're the, you have to fix yourself. What are you going to do? Do the X, Y, and Z, whatever it is that you need to do. But some people will hear that and be like, I want somebody else who validates me. And be like, you know what? Well, 
go find somebody who could put a quarter and validate you. Like, I don't know what to tell you. Like, it, but, you know, like, that's me dealing on one, but to tell people on a large, the leaders of the generation, that you're talking about the Gdolei Adol, and you think, you look about it, that the real leaders of the generation, they don't care about political correctness. They don't care about, oh, I'm going to hurt your feeling. No. You go to any stories about the big Gdolei Adol, if somebody was doing something wrong, and the leader said, realized that they had, they told them. So the question is, when people go and you choose for yourself a rabbi, who are you going to choose for yourself? Are you going to choose for yourself a rabbi, a leader, uh, you know, somebody who, a mentor even, to tell you, you're so great, you're so amazing, you're doing perfect, that's great, and now generation, you need that. You need to boost the self-esteem. But if that's all that that, that person, that leader is giving you, that mentor is giving you, find somebody else, because how will you ever change? How will you ever grow? How will you ever become a better person if you think that you're perfect? And if somebody tells you that you're perfect, the only person's job to tell you that you're perfect is your spouse. Everybody else should be telling you the issues. Even your children tell you the issues. Even the children. The younger they are, the more honest they are. Be like, oh really? You know, mommy, why is your skirt so short? You'd be like, you know, you know, like all oh, you say, like, you know, Abba, why are you not, why are you putting on tefillin at home? Why are you not going and praying in the synagogue? You know, you look at somebody that really pure and innocent, that, you know, they just learned. The rabbi told them, you have to go in minyan three times a day. Be like, you know, so, Daddy, you know, hopefully at least they're putting on Tulin at home. That's something also in our generation. But say, why are you not going to Minyan? Why are you not learning Torah? When was the last time that you saw your father learn Torah? Like, when you think about it, like, where's the generation? Where, who are the leaders? Who are the ones that are telling, you know, the, the, the generation of what, what you, it is that you need to do? So, this leads us to the point where the Gemaran Sanhedrin, page 98 says, Ein ben David ba. The generation of David is not going to come, which, mean, which means Mashiach is not coming. Until all the rulers, until the judges and the officers will cease to exist amongst the Jewish people. Says the Ma'asha, this is referring to there's only going to be corrupt judges. It's going to be corruption. What is somebody going to tell you? Depending on how much you donate to their synagogue. Depending on how much you donate to their organization, that's what they're going to tell you. Now, is it, you know, why for nowadays? No. There are plenty of great, righteous people that no matter what you give them, they're going to tell you, no, no, no. They're going to tell you exactly what it is. But it says, when this generation of Ben-David come, when this is going to be, that's all it's going to be, it's going to be corrupt judges. Does it exist now? We shouldn't say anything bad about the Jewish nation or anything about else. So, depending on your own experience of what you know and who you dealt with. But you think about this a little bit. We're, we're in, we're, we're in the shallow waters, at least, uh, you know, of this thing. Now, it's very interesting is that we're speaking about this. What is Mashiach's purpose? What is Mashiach going to do? Mashiach's going to unite all the, all the kingdoms and under one rulership. Well, what's going to happen before Mashiach comes? Everybody's going to be united to focusing against God. Mashiach's going to come and going to turn the entire thing right on its axis. Going to turn 180 degrees. Oh, you denied everything? Now it's going to go 180 degrees. Everybody's going to go according to God. Look at the miracles of what's going to happen. You open your eyes and you open your mind to what it, the, 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 the awesomeness of what's going to be. It's like, I think a word that we termed fantastical. It's going to be fantastical. I, I'm going to say it until it gets into the Webster's Dictionary, if that still exists. Okay, let's go on. It's getting late. Um, let's go on to, to a few other short, uh, short topics that I wanted to speak about. regarding the, That was the atheistic topic. Clear so far? Good. Okay, um, I may believe that you nodded. The Gemara so top. Page 49b goes and says, ish A person's enemies are going to be the enemies of a person's house. Now, what does this mean? Now, before the Russian Revolution, it was uncommon that people will turn away from their own families. But yet, you had over here, you know, come the Russian Revolution, come the, the time close to when Mashiach is coming, you have that their own family is turning against their own family. Where's the biggest proof for this? The Holocaust. I don't, I don't want to say how many 
stories I've read about this. It's really unfortunate. Yet one story brings to mind, and to be honest, I don't know how many years ago I read it. I don't know if I'm messing up the details of it. I remember reading this years and years ago. There was a person that was standing and was crying by the gates in, in the, you know, in the Holocaust and in the, in Auschwitz, in the concentration camp. And they were going and they were looking out at the people that were standing outside the gate. And there was a little, there was a, there was a little baby there that was being held by his mother. And the person was crying and crying and looking at that. And the, you know, the inmate goes, you know, next to him says, don't worry, someday, you know, we'll be reunited together with your family. He knew that this was a family. And the person, the person who was crying said, you don't understand. He says, that's my wife and child. And the guy says, no, I, I understand. One day we'll be reunited, we'll get out of this, the government, no one's gonna allow this to happen. And he says, no, 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 you don't understand. She's the one who sold me to the Nazis. They intermarried. They married into somebody else, and when they heard, oh, they heard, you know, Jews. So she went and she sat there with the child, watched the father go and you know into the slaughterhouse. This is the you think about it. The enemies of one's own household. This is what the Gemara Sota says. This is what's going to be, and this is not only this is not only the Holocaust. You see it, you know, nowadays very common. Even here you have the Gemara Sota says, "Haben enomit Aviv." The son is not going to be embarrassed from the father, and not only that, the elders will stand up before the youth. The elders are going to be stand up. You have nowadays the parents are scared to discipline their children. What are the children going to say? Well, I'm going to call nine one one, call child protective services, speed dial my new iPhone that you just bought me for twelve hundred dollars. You know, <laughs> iPhone eleven, iPhone eleven. Thank you. It just came out, right? I'm going to the new iPhone eleven for seven point two billion dollars. That you bought me and you paid for this, I am gonna go. I have child protective services, 911, all on speed dial. And this is what the parents are scared for. The children are turning in on their parents. The enemies of one own house is his own people in his house. Can you imagine that? What, imagine what's going on. You know, you, you're telling this, you know, 2,000 years ago, 1,500 years ago. They're like, are you kidding me? The father ruled the house. Whether you wanna say it was right or wrong, that was what the time was. Anybody to say against the father? Father will show you both sides of the hand. Not only the back, the front also. So the front and the back. Nowadays, you still have people who do that. But, you know, most people don't. But you have, you know, back then, that's what it was. And what, you, you're going to tell the, go tell the government. The government's going to say, good, you deserved it. And here's another one. Right? And the, this is what, the, and nowadays, father is just going like this. Be like, father, he's like, whoa, whoa. What you doing? It's like, it's like a, you know, like, um, you have in the Western, you know, they had the, the holsters, thank you. Where they go and they do a duel, right? So it's a, how quick you could take it out. So now people will be like, you know, father just screams. The kid slowly takes out the phone. I'm going to record this on one of the social medias. They'll be like, oh, oh we're going to live stream it. We'll see what you do to me. How do you abuse me? Live streaming with his new iPhone 12. You know, this is for the future people. Um, so you go and you say, this is what, this is the generation. The parents are going to be turned in by their children. But that's going to be in the generation. What's going to be the time of right before Mashiach comes? Says the Gemara on Edrin, page ninety-seven a. It says that the, when is end ben David ba the generation that the Mashiach is not going to come until one until the informers are going to proliferate. Someone who's a mosel, someone who goes and informs. Now, what's the difference? This is my own kiddush. What is the difference between the Gemara that says that that someone's own enemies of one owns household versus the informers are going to go and proliferate? My own understanding is as follows: We had for already the past like seventy years, a hundred years even. That people started, you know, the, you know, the, whether it's the communist government, whether it's the, you know, the Russian Revolution, same thing. You have the, the Holocaust where people of the own family became enemies. But what's going to happen when it's going to be more, it's going to become more proliferated? It's going to become more, more, uh, well known. We can be more, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? More common. 
It's going to be more common, more widespread. Thank you. It's going to be more widespread. That's when Mashiach is coming. When the, when the Moses, when the informers are going to be, and become more widespread. Now, when you look about it, I hope that nobody here deals with these things, but I've unfortunately had to deal with it. You have you have husbands and wives that get into fights, they get into unfortunately quarrels with each other. Now, back then, so you had quarrels. If you you know were smart, intelligent, you went over to a rabbi or a therapist and went and, and figured it out. But nowadays, how di- how disturbing it gets is that you have the wife goes, and I'll tell you a personal story that I know. The wife goes and she beat herself up. She punched herself, and I don't want to give anybody ideas here, um, but she really beat herself up, called 911, said my husband beat me up, and the husband went to jail. And I... I've spoke to the husband, and I know, and I got, you know, like again, he got out, whatever it was. It was like, but this is a generation what we're dealing with. The informers are going to go, and if you think you're in a bad marriage, all right, this should at least calm your nerves a little bit about it. My husband doesn't do the dishes. At least it, he's not beating himself up and saying that it's your, you know, you beat him. We think about it. What's going on over here? It's unfortunately so common. Are you going to tell me what is it going to be? Is it an uncommon scene or a common scene? How many, you have day-to-day, you have people, the child protective services. Sometimes it's a real reason that they need to be, but sometimes it's a reason that the children are just manipulating the system. You have the spouses turning guns against each other and, and selling the, their spouse to the government, selling their spouse to go for no reason whatsoever. So this is the difference with the Gemara, in my opinion, between the Gemara and Sultan, which is the era, the generation right before Mashiach comes, to the generation when Mashiach is going to come. The, the Gemara and Sultan is saying that this is going to be an occurrence, where there's going to be enemies of people of the household. But the Gemara and says it's going to be increased, it's going to proliferate, it's going to become widespread. Now our question is to you, where are we? You'll decide that. Says the Gemara in Bachot, page 10a, that Yeshaya Anavi goes to King Cheskiah, and he was ill, King Cheskiah was ill, and he was on his deathbed. And you know what the Prophet told him? He says, you're going to die. But you're not only going to die in this world, you're going to die in the next world as well. You're going to die. Why? Because you didn't get married and you didn't go and procreate. You didn't do the mitzvah procreate. So what did he, you know, King Cheskiah do? He went and he started praying. He went and he started changing. He says, what, what, bigger, what bigger proof, what bigger sign? Imagine a prophet comes over to you, not to you, to somebody else, and says, you're going to die. A, a real prophet. And there's, that's it. This world and the next world. Be like, well, that's what happens and I'm done. If God says that I'm done, then I'm done. I could change something. What did King Christian say? Because I said, no, no, no. He says, it, it was taught to me by my father's father that even if you have a sharp sword on your neck and it's imminent death, you should still go and they're still relying on God. They're still going and you can still pray to God. Because a person should never give up hope. You should never give up hope. And this is what the Gemara, the Gemara tells us that when is Mashiach going to come? Mashiach is going to come when the generation gives up hope. When the generation goes and says that there's no more hope. The generation says, Mashiach is not going to come. It's done. It's, it's the end of the line. That is when you have, that's when Mashiach is going to come. Because really, those two are really connected. When you think that we have nothing else to rely on to other than God in heaven. True, we only have to rely on God in heaven. But if you think you have nothing that you can do, if you think that there's nothing that you can do to bring the out, to bring Mashiach, then that is rock bottom. If you go and say, listen, it's done. What could I do already? I'm at the end of the rope. There's nothing that this generation has so far done. It's nothing to talk about. That is the bottom of the bottom. That is the bottom of the bottom. Really, what we really should do is we should really realize that there's there's never such a thing that there's nothing. There's no hope. There's always something that you can do. There's always prayer. There's always messing to be. There's always Torah. There's always chuvah. There's always something that you can do. And this is what we're dealing with coming Rosh Hashanah. We're coming Rosh Hashanah. You think, okay, listen, I had a bad year. Maybe I wasn't as good person as I should have. Maybe I didn't do as much as I could. If you give up hope and you're saying, okay, listen, that you're done. Don't 
give up hope. There's always hope. As long as you're alive, as long as you're breathing. I have, I have people that speak to me and that say it's no point. I can never get out of the sins that I've done. And I respond to them, if you're breathing, then there's hope. If, there, if there's no hope, then God wouldn't leave you over here. There's a reason that there's a hope. You're still standing. We're still in this generation. We're still standing. We have an ability to go and do something. The question is, are you going to go and stand up and do something? Or are you going to throw the towel and say, that's it, I'm done. I give up hope. Do we have two minutes? Yeah, I'm not going to look at anybody. I'm just going to go on. Um, this is something that... Everything that we spoke about before is something that we, it's sort of like a new twist. This is something that we spoke about before when we spoke about the end of days, right in the beginning of the Mashiach series. But because we spoke about these concepts, I feel it's worth repeating. The rest of the stuff, if you're, if you're smart and wise and you could listen to the nuances, we spoke about very similar concepts that we spoke about in the beginning of the Mashiach series, which was two years ago, but in a completely different light. In a completely different understanding and concepts of way the wind. Here we're going to go and speak about things that are very similar to what we spoke about before. But again, I'm repeating it because it's, it's very apropos and I think it's important and will be done in a very few minutes. The Gman says that the bet have, bet vad yeleznut, the meeting places is going to be a place of immorality. Now what is the difference? I don't want to get into this because we don't have the time. That's the Gman Sotah. The Gman Sanedrin says something very similar with one letter difference. Instead of bet vad, it says bet havad. Anybody knows what the pretext of hey means? The. Very good. It's the. Meaning, betavad, there's going to be, but then the. The meaning place is going to be a meaning place of immorality. We could see the, you know, again, I don't want to get into it because we don't have enough time, but we could see how it progresses to the extent of like, this is where I'm going to be the meaning, meaning places. Now, very unfortunate, even you have the most religious, orthodox, Hasidic, whatever it is, shuls, synagogues. You have the women that come and the men that come to the synagogue to pray. And again, you have plenty of amazing, amazing synagogues. And may God bless everybody. But you have certain synagogues that come and it's instead of a place of prayer, it's a fashion show. Or maybe it's a, um, instead of a fashion show, it's a meeting place. There's a kiddush club where everybody goes and mingles together. And everybody has couple friends, and everybody has, you know, and they go and they talk, and they get a meeting. I'm like, what's going on over here? It's a place of a meeting place of God. There's a place, and again, I'm not saying you shouldn't have kiddush, I'm not saying you shouldn't talk to your neighbors, I'm not, I'm, but just like, think about the concept. This is what we're dealing, this is what the Gemara tells us, is going to be a place that, the meeting place is going to be for social reasons. How many people, and I've spoken in, in many different types of synagogues, how many people that I've seen that come to the synagogue, never even step inside to pray, socializing. Well, you come here. This is not your club. This is a club synagogue, club shul. You come up here and you socialize. What even shocks me even more is some places that are really, really, unfortunately, I don't know what you call them, modern orthodox, lagging, or I don't know whatever it is, is that you have the a really, really modern place where you see the husbands and wives, not of each other, say hi to each other, how they say hi to each other. In the secular world, I don't understand it, they do like ear kisses, you know, like cheeks to ear. I, 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 to my life of mine, I can't understand that. I'm like, what are you, what's going on over here? In a synagogue, you're coming over here to pray to God and you're touching somebody else's wife? Like, this is what we, this is what the Gemara is saying over here. And, you know, I, I see this more because I, you know, travel, you know, often and I speak in different places and it shocks my mind. I'm like, how could this be? How could this, the meaning places of God is going to turn into what? It's going to turn into immorality. It's going to turn into something that is, against what God wants. It's better for a person to stay home than to get into that situation. Now again, I'm not telling you, you know, say, well listen, my synagogue I go to has that situation, so I'm better going to stay home. Find another synagogue. Don't use this as excuses. A selective hearing could be, you know, utilized in many different aspects. But 
what the Gemara is telling us is that when Mashiach comes, the level of modesty is going to be such a record low that we're not going to even be bothered by it. It's going to be in public. In public, people are going to go and people are going to go and show, uh, you know, like, let's leave it as immorality. Whether it's the way that they dress, whether it's the way that they talk, whether it's the way that they interact between one another, it's going to be so open that it's going to be normal. It's going to be normal. This is going to be the, the meeting place is going to be meeting places of holiday, a meeting place of immorality. And if you don't think that that's happening nowadays, then all I could say is God bless you and stick to your community because that's amazing. Okay, but that, it's it's so it's so scary. You want to say only modern Orthodox? I've spoken in Hasidic places. That's a problem as well. It's, it really is everywhere. It is. It's it's a very very unfortunate you know situation. It's very, very unfortunate. When you have people that come to, you should go really pray in a shul that is very particular about that and also very particular about talking in davening. I'm not going to, it's a different class when I have the time to, to even start speaking about talking in davening. You know, pr- you know, talking during the prayers. You have, you know, I've been to, to synagogues. Um, I went to a synagogue. Well, very, I don't know if I said this story. I went to a synagogue once, you know, and um, when I went there, it was a problem. Or like, you know, I had to go through all the leniencies that like, I was able to actually daven there. Like that's what my brother Mechitza wise. And somebody who prays there very often told me that um, he was praying, he was the Chazan. And he was praying, and the Mechitza, so there was, there was a men's section, and then there was a woman's section. And if you see my hand, there was a men's section, and then there was a woman's section. That much difference, right? Um, and, he, and he said that he turned around one time while he was the Chazan, and he sees there was an old man, very cute old man, was sitting right next to the woman's section, and his wife was sitting right in the other side of the room, and they were holding hands as they were praying. Now, you think about it, like, oh, that's so sweet. <laughs> I'd be like, yes, that's very nice, and I hope they love each other until 120, but this is a place of prayer, right? You're not walking on a stroll on the beach, right? This is, this is a place of prayer, and there's a, there's a time and place for everything. There's a time and place to do it. And when, you know, I, I've seen the synagogue... For this, for the wedding, for the mix of dancing weddings, yeah, they have the mechitza, they have the tree, yeah. Because usually, how do you have? Um, you know what I'm talking about. It's your community. So, <laughs> so um, uh, well, I point you out, but yeah. So, <laughs> so, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like usually, when you have the perverts of the of of a regular religious wedding, so they have to like you know like go into the woman section, like no, I'm just looking for my wife. They're like you're not married. I know. That's why I'm looking for my wife. You know, like, or the worst option is the guy is going there. He's like, I'm looking for my wife. Your wife is homesick. Be like, I know. I'm looking for my wife. You know, like number two. So you know, like to that to that extent. Now, when you have bushes, so that that makes it so it's a little bit less creepy, I guess, when the guy is like peeking through the bushes. But now, now I've been to weddings where the bushes, they're just like five feet apart. I mean, like, I don't, it, invisible Mechitza, right here. Do not cross this line. If you do, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> then the rabbis will leave, and then we'll turn on the non-Jewish music, and then we'll do it. Um, or we'll turn on the Jewish music, and the rabbis will leave. Either way, it works, um, unfortunately. But you think about it, this is, what, this is what we're dealing with. This is the generation, unfortunately, that we're dealing with. This is the generation that you have people, it's not like they don't know. They know that they shouldn't be mixed dancing. They know that it shouldn't be, you know, mingling into that. But why, why? What's going on over here? What's going on over here? And that, and just really circling back to the first thing: you hear what you want to hear, and you see what you want to see, and you do what you want to do. And how are you going to go and? I'm not really doing anything bad. And you go and you can excuse yourself and do this cognitive dissonance from today until tomorrow, whatever. 
is that you're going to go and convince yourself, just know something, be true to yourself. I want to finish off with one final point. This is uh, uh, you know, something that we spoke about in length in a previous class. The generation is going to be like the dogs. What is the generation of the dogs? I want to, I want to bring a few points just because we're on the topic. Um, the, one of the things with dogs, dogs are not embarrassed. Now animals in general are not embarrassed, but dogs, there's, there's no shame in dogs. Um, anybody who has a dog can attest to this, and even more so, there is some shame, let's say, in cats. Dogs, no shame. And, you know, they do everything, everywhere, everywhere, every time, anything. Anything. What? When two dogs meet, when a dog meets a teddy bear, when a dog meets a leg, it doesn't matter. They do whatever it is that they want to do whenever it is. that they, There's no embarrassment. What is a generation is going to be like generation of the dog? Because that's going to be in the end of the days. People are not going to be embarrassed anymore. There's not going to be any sense of shame. At a certain point in time, women, even though we're not religious, not Jewish, call them atheists, they had a sort of sense of pride in their body. Nowadays, whoever wants to see can come and see. And if they give them a whistle, boost my self-esteem because I'm terrible as it is. You know, and that, there's absolutely no sense of, no sense of shame. You have leaders of the generation that use the most foul language. Back then, if somebody, if, if there was a, a, you know, a president, a leader, a king, of, did you, it would be embarrassed. Somebody heard me say something like that. Nowadays, you have presidents of large corporations. You have people of stature that go and they use, like, they, there's no shame anymore. There's no embarrassment. That's just like the generation, the, this is the dogs. The dogs, unfortunately, are, you know, are shameless. The, other you know, interpretation is that dogs are followers. As much as they think that they're leading, they're always following. We're a generation of followers. Once there's something in fad, in style, everybody does it. As silly as it is. So you could go anywhere from fidget spinners to something called mood rings to something called Uggs to something, whatever it is, it's a fad. Yes, it's comfortable. Yes, it's enjoyable. Yes, it relieves my anxiety. May God bless you all. But when we realize when we do, we do certain things, not so much for style, not, but it's so more, it's more like a fad. And it's a name. And it's a concept that we go and we follow. We're, we're unfortunate, we're a generation of followers. When you're going and you're standing up for yourself and you're starting to think, that when you know when you're, you're going against the wave, against the stream. That's when you know that you're growing. That's when you know when everybody else, all your friends are doing X, Y, and Z. Assuming that you have bad friends, if you have good friends, then go with the flow. But if, assuming if you have bad friends, everyone's doing, and you're going and saying, you know what? No, I'm not going to do this. Well, why do I have to go and watch this TV show because everybody else is talking about it at work? Is it really going to make a difference if you don't know about it? Is it really going to make a difference, you know, like if you're not able to be part of the conversation? It doesn't. So stop being part of a fad. Stop being a follower like a dog and start being a leader. Start deciding your own destiny. People go and they say, you know why I can't be religious? You know why I can't keep Shabbat? My family. My friends. My wife. Whatever it is, there's so many different things. Stop being a pushover. Stop being a follower. Start leading. You want something. If something is right, do it. Stand up for what's right and do what you got to do. Because I guarantee you, when you do that, you're going to feel so good about yourself. You're going to feel so accomplished that all this, like, you know, falling into the self-esteem issues and falling into the problems and the issues and the psychological, emotional, intellectual, all these problems, if you just stand up, you do what you think is right, then you're going to be able to go and fight against everything. Everything, because you have the power to go and fight against it. The Let's finish off with one final thing. The Chavetz Chaim goes and says that when the time before Mashiach, why is it going to be the generation of the dog? If a dog gets hit by a stick, it's going to be angry at the stick. 
if a dog goes and gets hit by something that's inanimate, it's going to be, it's going to, it's going to, it's going to bother by, by the inanimacy of the object. It's not going to realize that the owner hit it, that somebody else hit it. In our generation, unfortunately, you have things that, good things, it's fortunate good things happen to people, and bad things happen to people. But what happens when bad things happen to you? Do you think, okay, wait, maybe God is doing something for this? Maybe there's a reason. Yes, it's all for the best. Everything is for the best. Everything is amazing. But you stop for a second. You think, why is God doing this? We're in a generation that if something bad happens, we don't attribute it to God. Who do we fight? We fight the stick that hit us. So if somebody goes and fires you from your job, or you're not happy, whatever it is, and what, who do we get upset? Our neighbor, the person that ratted us out, the person that did this, the person that did that. When someone goes and cut you off, you're scared, of, you're, you're, you're upset at that. Someone stole a deal from you, you're upset at that person. You're, we're upset of everybody else except for thinking for the final reason. Why? Because we hear what we want to hear, we see what we want to say, we do what we want to do. If you stop for a second, you think, okay, wait a minute, maybe God is showing me a sign. Maybe God is telling me I have to fix myself. No, no, no. I'd rather blame this on this person. This is the person that took it away. And let me take him to the Torah. Let me do this. Let me do that. And we blame everybody else except for one person. The most important person that we need to blame. And that's ourselves. And sometimes there's a reason why bad things happen. So Every time it's for the best. But there's always a time that we could go in and prove ourselves. And if there's an ever a time in the year where we could go and think about what we can improve this up, it's right here, right now. Now, the way that it works is by the time that you walk downstairs, most of this class, you're probably going to be like, okay, whatever, it was nice and entertaining, maybe it was, maybe it wasn't, I don't know, I hope it was. But whatever it was, you're going to come, and get, but if you leave tonight, coming before Shana, come before, be like, okay, so let's be honest to ourselves. Let's think about what is it that we need to change. Take upon yourself one thing. One thing small, very small, but do it. Do it and, 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 and see it through. And when you do that, you're going to see the goodness that you feel. You're going to start seeing that you're honest to yourself, that you're true to yourself, that you're not seeing what you want to see, you're not hearing what you want to hear. You're really looking into the truth. And that really is the purpose, and that's really what brings us to Mashiach. Mashiach goes when we're able to go and understand what we need to do. And that leads us to Tshuva. So really, this is a class both for Shana, Yom Kippur, and for a class for Mashiach. This is a time where we have to go and, you know, and, and have an introspection and think about what is it that we can do to bring Mashiach. Be true, be honest to yourself. Any questions? No questions? Okay. Hazagabaruch. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.